0: She pray with me. God, we come before you, a people who are full of pride and doubt. We have been blinded by so many other pursuits. And passions and desires. Our will has been corrupted by walking too long in the ways of the world. And we know that without an act from you to break our hearts of stone, there is no hope for us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your scriptures and hear the word which you have given to us that we would indeed, as we just heard, say something, that everyone here would respond to your call to repent and to believe, to be transformed and changed by the great grace you have given to us in Jesus Christ, the only one who can save. In the name of Jesus and through the Spirit, we pray. Amen. As Jesus wraps up his uh, sermon, call it the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And because it's so wide and because it's so easy, many find it. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And so it would make sense then that very few would find it. This is the word of God. And it goes from Genesis to Revelation kind of the same way. There's not a lot of change, which shouldn't surprise us. But for whatever reason, uh, these days it seems to be not only non-Christians, but Christians themselves who have forgotten the truth, who have said, no, the why, the, the way is easy. The way of Jesus is, 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 is easy, and it's wide, and, and almost everybody is on it, only like your Hitler and Stalins and really terrible people that like cut you off in, in, in traffic. Those are the people who are going to hell, but everybody else, they're, they're okay. And we're in this series called Saved, and man, we use that word, don't we? Use that word so flippantly. I've used it, man. I, I just used it so flippantly my whole whole life to be saved from something. It, I, I don't. I was trying to think. I can't remember if I told the story uh, uh, of uh, of choking on candy in like second grade. Maybe it's first grade. Have I told that story? No. I yeah. They they had zero the hero day. Anybody? Did, where are the the kids are all in someplace else. Zero the hero day But it was like Every like Every zero So like 10 20 100 All those zero days The, the principal would dress up Like goofy And he would come And he would give candy out And, and of course They gave candy out this day And it was like a hard candy You know I popped it in my mouth And all of a sudden Like I couldn't breathe Which isn't cool Like not a good thing Breathing is good And um and there's, like, just this, like, it's, it's funny, like, you don't remember a lot from your childhood. I suppose I probably forget more and more as I get older. But this thing is, like, cement in my brain. Like, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I couldn't anything. They're dragging me. Like, I'm, you know, gasping and dying. And they're dragging this kid down the hallway, you know. And, and the principal, I, like, whacked me on the back or something. I spit the thing up. But, but like, there's a good, like, minute of no air. Like, you are dying, you are dying. That's what saved means. It means something terrible is on the horizon, something irrevocable, something that couldn't be stopped. You were dying and you were saved. In fact, that's what Paul says in, in the text that we're going to be looking at today in first, uh, or Romans chapter 1. and verse 16 he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That word gospel, as some of you know very well, means good news. Uh, if there is good news that he is now bringing to you, then that probably means that what was before it, Not good news, not as good news, probably bad news. In fact, he says, I am not ashamed of the good news for it is the power of God to do what for salvation, for you to be saved because there is something in front of you that is so terrible. It is going to end you. It is going to kill you. You will be lost. This is a heavy word. The Bible uses it plentifully, somberly, uh, soberly, not without joy, but with serious, serious nature. I don't want to do anything fancy today. I just want to look at Romans 1, and I want to walk through it. It's perhaps the most unpopular passage that we could look at today, and, and I'm that kind of guy, so I figured we'd look at it. Um, in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 begins with this as, as Paul as I just said is, is revving up his gospel he says I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed in verses 16 and 17 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God uh, that brings salvation to, to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Greek for the righteousness of God that is God's justice in both sort of the, the justice that we think of in terms of like law and also in moral purity, God's, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith as it's written, the righteous will live or the just shall live by faith. Verse 18 begins with this, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There is nothing more terrifying, I think, than for you to take into your mind the idea that in all-powerful, all-knowing, untouched by time or entropy or any such thing, God has something that we could call wrath i mean we get angry don't we we have uh, bad did you shake your head no yeah oh no yes okay i misread that i'm sorry um i was like wow paul's a lucky man <laughs> for various other reasons um We have bad tempers, we have bad days, we get angry, we snap at people, but when we use the word wrath in conjunction with this idea of a God who is a just God, that is that God has, and the Greek word is is orge, It's it's this passion that is poured out in such intensity that human words really fail to fail to grapple, grapple with it. If my anger, when I see something unjust, you 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 see, you hear these horrific things all over the news all the time. You know we hear these horrific things and we get angry. We get angry for the child. We get angry for the people. We get angry for the person who has been who has been hurt. Who this injustice has been done. And we're 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 full of wrath. That wrath is but the smallest fragment. Of what God feels when He looks upon humanity and sees our sin. That's a heavy thought. And it is, as I said, an unpopular thought as well. But don't just think it was an unpopular thought today, it's always been unpopular. It's always been unpopular. No one has been able to stand underneath the weight of this word for the wrath of God is being revealed and not done one of two things, either been crushed by its reality or spit upon it and walked away. And that's what Jesus is driving at at the end of his, his, his sermon on the mount. He's given us the ways of life. He has in some ways reconstituted the covenant that was given to Moses in Deuteronomy that it was given to the people. Walk like this, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And that there can be only two kinds of, of people in this world those who belong to God and those who don't. In Deuteronomy it gives us this, this, this word. Deuteronomy chapter 22, or I'm sorry, verse 29. Verses twenty-two through twenty-four says this. It says, "And the next generation, your children." And I sort of hear this as echoes. Like the, 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 we're gonna we're gonna read this, and it refers specifically to the people of Israel, but it has implications for the Christians here today. It has implications for a nation because God judges everyone, whether you're a Christian or whether you're an atheist, or whether you're a nation, or whether you're a city, or whether you're a family, or an individual. Whatever it is, God doesn't have variations in how He judges things. He has a right will and he will judge all creation by that same will no matter who you are the same judgment is there and so these words are especially fearful to me as a, fearful to me as a as a, as a Christian uh, dad the next generation your children will rise up after you and a foreigner somebody who doesn't know anything about God, who comes from afar, comes into the land, will look around and will say, looking at the afflictions of the land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made you sick, that the whole land has been burned and salted with brimstone and salt. And if you don't know this, if you burn a field and you spread salt throughout it, it is no longer good for anything. You can't do anything with that field. It's spoiled. spoiled. Nothing can be sown, nothing can be grown, where plants and sprouts, that the whole area, the whole life, the whole land has been overthrown, like the stories we hear of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which God overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations will look at you and will look really at your children, and they will say, Why has the Lord done this to your family? Why has the Lord done this to your church? Why has the Lord done this to your life? Why has the Lord done this to the nation? And they will say, it's because we have abandoned the Lord. And we've served gods, worshipped them, gods that we have not known, gods that were not given to us. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the land, bringing upon it all of the curses, all of the curses written in this book. Now, again, as I said, the context here is speaking specifically of the Old Testament people, and yet there is direct correlations uh, to the rest of us. If you flipped over one page in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, Paul is sort of wrapping up some of his thoughts, and he says that this, is, uh, that this uh, judgment that is going to come comes on the day when, according to the gospel, according to the good news, God judges a part of the good news is the judgment of God. That there is a God who will bring forth a justice against all injustice. That there is an answer for everything. And that good day, God judges the secrets. How many of you got secrets this morning? Thank you. Good honest man right there. Secrets. The secret hearts of people by Jesus Christ the wrath then we read is 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 coming it is coming because god is immutable god does not change what we read in deuteronomy is Very similar, if nearly identical, to what we read throughout the New Testament. God hasn't shifted or changed. The same thing is enacted. God looks upon the world and he sees two things. And we see that here in our text in verse 18. That the wrath of God is being revealed. It's coming from God against what? Against ungodliness. Ungodliness. Uh, This word ungodliness means um, not just like moral Inactivity, but it means impiety. It means that you have looked at God and you have said, no thanks. You've said to God, I don't, I don't, I don't want to follow you. I, I have no interest in you. There, there is no God against ungodliness. And then on the other side, unrighteousness. In fact, it's not the other side. It's a, it's a step process. Because first we must deny God his place as Lord over not only our lives, but over the entire universe. The second step is like it. Then if there is no God, I can do whatever I want. So the wrath of God is being revealed against people in their rejection of God and their rejection of God's laws. We say, I don't want you to tell me how to live my life, and therefore I will live my life however I want. Verses 19 through 20 give us the next step here. It is a revelation of God's reality. 19. So there is this wrath that is coming from God and it's going to fall upon men because of these two things, the rejection of God and the rejection of God's law. But what can we say about this? What can we say about human beings? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse there is a revelation of god's reality that is known by every single person across the world even if you've never held a bible you don't know anything about jesus or any of these any of the scriptures you have a knowledge about god because you can see creation you can look around in the world and you can say that is really complex i look at emma she is really complicated we can look at as we advance in science all of the deep things of of microscop microscopic levels, atoms, and all of this stuff. We could look at the big stars. We could look at how all of these things and the heavens work, and we could say, man, this is really complex. What's really interesting is the denial that we have of this very first point of general revelation that we see in geniuses, I think that's probably fair to say, like Stephen Hawking, who is spending his life, what's left of his life anyway, trying to prove that something can indeed come from nothing. Because there was no God, there is no God. And if there is no God, but we have something, we might say this, the first one here is is a basic question. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? And so if there is no God, then we have to come up with an answer. There was nothing, and all of a sudden, there was something. So something must have come from nothing, which is, of course, as you know, illogical. My, my six-year-old can get that. That doesn't work. Everything we know, all of the logic, everything we know about the universe functions like this. Something causes something else. There's always a cause. There's always causation. So we can look at the world, and we can say there is a cause, So there must be some kind of creator. The second point he brings forth here is that we can look around the world and we can come up with some knowledge about who God is based upon what we see. If God is the one who has created and sustained this, this massive thing we call the universe, he must have something that we could call eternal power. He is not affected by time. He is not affected by entropy. He is not affected by the things that seem to affect us. For his power creates and sustains something larger than our small minds could ever conceive of. We could look at his divine attributes. and We could say, as, as, I, as I always like going back to C.S. Lewis... Why do we say that's not fair? Why do we say that? We say that because there is something inside of, in fact, that's, that's the very word that is used here um, uh, by Paul in this passage. Uh, it, it says that uh, for his divine um, power, it, it was made known to them in them, in, in, a, in and around them. That it's not just a sense of, I look and see, but amongst us and even inside myself, I can sense that there is a God, and so there is no excuse. No excuse. No one can say on the day of judgment, wow, there's a God? I have no idea. I'm so, I'm so shocked by this. I'm so surprised by this. In fact, what's so interesting is if you listen to, and I showed this, maybe I should have showed it again, uh, that wonderful clip by Stephen Fry, who's kind of an actor-comedian, and he was talking about, about God. Do you remember that? Uh, I showed that some time ago. Uh, And and he said at the very end as he was going through it, as this guy was interviewing, the guy said, Stephen Fry says, you know what? And if there is a God and he is like the scriptures describe him, I don't want anything to do with him. I'd rather go to hell. I don't want anything to do with him. And I love that because that was the first honest moment that we had with him. Because there is innately a desire and knowledge of God and to reject that is to reject your very nature and that must create conflict and anger. It must create anger. This is the revelation of who God is and everyone as we read in this text knows it, and therefore there is a just judgment upon all people, whether you say there is a God or you say there is not a God. All of us stand the same. We are without excuse. So how do we respond to this revelation? Verses 21 and 23. 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now this refers, of course, to the gods of the ancient world where they would create an actual stone statue. We've become so much more advanced than they ever were because we have these wonderful digital projections so we can turn on Sports Center and find our idols. We can turn on the movie and find our idols. We can turn on the music and we can find our idols. We can open the magazine. In fact, you, we have no idea, especially you teenagers here in this room and young people, you have no idea how much you are affected by the culture around you. Why do we wear what we wear? Why do we say the things that we say? Where do these these catchphrases come from, right? I mean, we are inside of a world that is constantly reaching in and stretching into our minds and into our thoughts. We are constantly being attacked in this way, And as we pursue a rejection of God and a rejection of God's ways, Paul says that two things happen. Although we know who God is, we don't honor God and we don't give him thanks for all that he has done. And so what happens we become futile in our thinking. Now, this word um, uh, futility means sort of like empty. It means meaningless. It's, it's, it's hollow. And the thinking really is, comes from the word logikos. That means reasoning. So it is that the person who has rejected God and who is pursuing their own desires, they have become empty thinkers, unable to reason correctly. That means that there is a veil over your eyes here today. If you're not a believer or if you're a false believer somebody who's claimed Christ but hasn't really changed and you just got a little wet but have lived your life however you wanted to whether you've rejected God or you've rejected his ways there is something over your eyes a darkness that does not allow you to reason correctly then secondly There is a foolish thought, it says. Foolish hearts are darkened. The word, uh, if we were to render it perfectly in Greek, it would say the darkening of the understanding of the heart. So, foolishness is not to say so much as, like, hey, I made a mistake, or hey, that was kind of foolish. I shouldn't have done that. I should do something else. Foolishness means a lack of understanding. And the word heart, because for us that often makes us think of emotions, in the Bible means will. So not only has then there become a, 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 a sort of a veil that has fallen over our ability to think clearly... But there has also come a darkening of our ability to understand the right way for our will to go. What should I do in response to this? What should I do next? How should I act and live my life? There is a veil that lays over it. It can be qualified as this darkness. Without Christ, you are the blind, leading the blind. Falling into the pits and getting filthy. I don't know if you've ever tripped and fallen into a pit, but it's an unpleasant thing. Usually it's muddy. Covered with filth. Stumbling from pit to pit to pit because you can't think clearly and you can't want properly. And so everything about you has become lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4 says this, and even if our gospel is veiled... It's a dark cloth over that gospel. Paul is preaching. He's pleading with people. He's saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And people say, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't believe you. I can't live that way. I don't want to live that way. You're insane. There is a black veil over that gospel that they can't see through. And if our gospel is veiled, who is it veiled to? It is veiled to those who are what? Perishing. Perishing. What's the corollary word to perishing? You are either perishing or you are saved. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing because in their case, what? The world and all of its charms. And man, there's a lot of them, isn't there? There's just so many, just so many. In their case, the God of this world. And here is, I think, a dual reference, not only to Satan, but to all of the, the powers of this world, all of the temptations of this world, all of the things that pull on us from this world, all of the things that sap our time, rather than prayer, rather than being with family and sharing the gospel, rather than reading the scriptures, all of those things that you are thinking about right now, as you have forgotten that we're reading the scriptures all of those other things, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak as the flesh pulls on us. They can't see the gospel, so they have been fully darkened. And, and as, a, as a preacher and as somebody who does a lot of talking about the Bible, this I run into all the time. You know, I, I will be talking with people, I'll invite people to church, I'll deal with y'all. And where is so-and-so? Why are they here? Call them, you know, what's going on? And you kind of give me some stupid excuse because they're always stupid excuses. I rarely hear a good one. And I say, what, what's, what's, what's going on? Why is, why is this life that you've, that you've said, I've now claimed Jesus Christ, you've been baptized for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, you lay claim to this word, saved, you've got that in your back pocket, and yet what I see in your life doesn't resemble anything like what we talked about last week, slavery to Christ. Now, it can't be because I'm not pretty enough, because I am. And it can't be because I'm not eloquent enough because I'm the eloquentest of all the eloquencers, right? <laughs> what is the problem with humanity? The problem is this. There is a veil. There is a veil. And those of you who are here today and you are believers and you're strong in it, man, I want you to see. I was, I was thinking about this. I don't know why. My dad's here this morning, and he's awesome. Uh, and it's going to be his birthday, Monday tomorrow, and he's going to be older. <laughs> he's coming home with me, so we just, he's going to be older. Um, but I was thinking about my childhood, and, um, and uh, my, my bed was like yay, and my window was like yay, and we had this like blind, like you'd pull the blind down, it was like one of those plastic sheet kind of blinds, this hard plastic, and everything's just black. I want you as a Christian to see that black veil above your head and all it takes is pfft, pull it right down and the gospel is gone. The way of God is gone. It is gone before your eyes. We are so slack in our lives. Keep watch. The Bible says over and over and over and over again. Jesus says, I mean, he's, he's on the mountain. Who do you think he's preaching to When he says, the road is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And the road is narrow and hard that leads to life. And there's a lot of people that are going down that road. And there's very few people that have gone right here. And the whole mountainside is full of all these people Jesus is talking to. Who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to believers. Believers. He's talking to people who have showed up to that mountain to hear him preach. And he warns the people hearing him preach, make sure that you're on the narrow and not on the wide. Because the wide ends in death. And the narrow ends in life. And you better be careful what road you're on. Jump back up to that first verse that we tackled. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. This is what we call a present active passive verb. That means right now it's happening to you. When we think of wrath, we think of something that's going like, it's, it's like a future thing, like someday, maybe down the road. Like when, when Jesus says, like, why is the path? That means it's like future, like there's a destruction in the distance. And, and that's true, but here it says right now the wrath of God is being shown how is the wrath of God being shown? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. I, I don't want you to think of God gave them up like, uh, like hey, this is an appliance. I don't need anymore. I'm gonna put it in the garage sale. Or, hey, this thing doesn't work anymore. I'm gonna throw it in the trash. It, it, it is not the idea of just like sort of like Throwing something away, but rather handing something over. That we as people have said, I don't want God, and I don't want God's law. I'd rather not agree with what it says here in Romans, and so I'll do my own thing. Thank you very much. And so God says, go in peace. You're on your own. The wrath of God then is this. God will give you what you want, if you want God, he will take you into his arms. If you want the charms of the world, they're all yours. And you get to decide. And the wrath of God is that that he lets you walk away. Because what does it look like to walk away? Therefore, God gave them up. God handed them over to what? To their lusts. The lusts of their hearts to impurity. Dishonoring their bodies among themselves. We should notice that. Because what, uh, what are we made in the image of? Anybody remember Genesis? The image of God. I don't care what people have said about you or what you think about yourself. You are made in the image of God. Every person in this room has intrinsic value. But it is only within God that you will ever find the meaning of that value. You will ever find its fulfillment and its glory and its wonder. In fact, if you reject God and you reject God's ways, what are you going to do? You're going to walk in impurity. You're going to walk according to your darkened understanding, your darkened will, and you are going to give up your body and begin to dishonor it. Because you can't treat it with honor, because the one who teaches you how to treat it with honor is the one who made it, gave it to you. So they dishonor themselves because they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they worship the creation, whether it's creation out there or the creation that they have right in front of them in the mirror. And so, God gives them this, so for this reason, God gives them up to dishonorable passions. The passions that drive them, that that cause them to do the things that they do. Remember that darkened will? Their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to the way that God has made them. Men, likewise, do the same thing. Committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since all of these people who have now given themselves over to their own pursuits of pleasure... They did not sit, see fit to acknowledge God, and so God gives them up to a debased mind. That is, a mind that is now unable to even, not only, it's, it's, it's more than just this, I don't believe in God, and I don't want to live how God wants me to live, and therefore God darkens, or I darken my reasoning and my will is also perverted, but that eventually it will come down to a place where I just debase myself. And, and I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to stop here because I know that all of you are thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not that dude or gal. I'm glad that's not me because I'm not debasing myself. Remember with me, does God judge by your principles or does God judge by his principles? His principles. Therefore, what you call debasement might be, of course, not something you do, because none of us are going to say, yeah, I debase myself, right? Very few people are willing to do that. Most people say, I'm a good person. I'm a great person. I'm an okay person. But God judges by his will and his law, and we debase ourselves on a regular basis debased minds, and so we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are gossips, hello church, slanderers, heard plenty of that, haters of God, insolent, haughty, got pride in your heart this morning, boastful. Inventors of Evil. I really like this one because to me this makes a lot of sense within everything that we've seen. I shouldn't say I like this one. That came out wrong. This one I feel like elucidates the point further. In that it's a way, I think of two children who like get together and they say, well maybe this is a good idea. And, "Well, yeah, but couldn't we do this? And there's just kind of like this escalation of sin. Like, we, we get together and we think of ways that we can escalate sin. Like, I mean, this is this is like television. Like, this is the whole principle, isn't it, uh, uh, of television. Like, how do I up the ending? We're going to make a sequel. Okay, we killed 10 people in the last one. We need to kill 1,500 in the next one. Otherwise, no one's showing up to this movie, right? I mean, this is, this is the way that we sort of live our lives. We are inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, is an equivalent to debasement children. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know the righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they approve of those who practice the same things. I couldn't think of a better better illustration to this than um, I was... uh, I was uh, somewhere this week, I don't remember now where I was. I was. I think it was driving. No, I couldn't have been driving because I never listened to the radio. It must have been in the gym because the radio was on. And so uh, I heard this song, and I've, I've heard it before, and you probably have heard it before, Take Me to Church. Have you, anybody heard this song? Some chuckles, and so you have heard this song. Uh, and, and I have to admit, and I freely admit, that the music of the song and the way the song is put together is really, really good. And um, if good, we'll use the word good loosely. It uses sacred imagery um, really, really well. And there's this, there's these two lines in it that I thought like are perfect description of the world around us. And it says this. Um, this is the dude singing. He says, My church offers no absolutes. She tells me. Of course, the song is kind of mostly around this uh, sexual relationship between this guy and girl. Um, And they might even be married. Like, there's no indication that this is sort of a torrid, a failure. Let's say they're married. She tells me, worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. And then, like, musically, uh, this is, like, really so well done. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. amen. Amen. That to me is the perfect, and I mean this is, some of you obviously have heard this song, this is a big hit. People love it because it so perfectly captures the truth of the world as it is. Because the truth is if there is no God, you are meaningless, you are purposeless. To quote the fifth element, you are a meat popsicle. You have no meaning in the world. You are you are basically taking up space until you're dead. That is it. And the only thing that you can do is to find something to fill that empty space with. And the only thing that you could possibly fill that empty space with that doesn't lead you to destruction and death and just sort of this like, oh man, this is like this is, there's no hope, there's no future, there's no anything left there at all. The only thing you could fill this with is other people pleasure. And so the song I feel like is just an amazing example of an honest person who says, I have no church. I have no God. And so where do I find my church and my God? Because you always will find a church and you always will find a God and you always bend your knee to that God. And where does he find it? He finds it in the sexual relationship with this other person. Maybe you find it in money. Maybe you find it in alcohol. Maybe you find it in just being uh, miserable and evil to other people. I don't know where you find it find it but you find it somewhere and if that's all there is for you, you are lost 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 but throughout this series and for the rest of the series because this was a little bit of a heavy sermon and they're all going to be heavy sermon because that's the kind of person I am and I apologize no I don't, that's just who I am um, but they will be encouraging, I hope, as we go. And I don't want you to leave this room saying, wow, that's that's terrible news because Paul is giving us this terrible news because on the heels of it, he's looking for us to say, I don't want that narrow road or that, that wide road. I want the narrow road. I want to be away and done with the works of darkness. I want to do away with the sin. I want to have the blinders pulled off my eyes. I want to be able to think clearly. I want to have my will in line with God's will. I want the words of Jesus who says narrow is the road and hard is the road and few there are that find it but at the end of that road is life. Our conscience bears witness or conflicting thoughts accuse. But on that day, according to the gospel, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. There's nothing that can save you, nothing that can heal you, nothing that can bring you peace. And if that's what you're looking for today, come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to search your heart and make sure that what you have done is truly come to Jesus. And it isn't just, uh, I believe in God between my ears. I've got this, this intellectual ascent, but not only have I believed in God, but I have made His will my will. I have sought for Him. I have sought to be a friend of God. And so God has brought me to a place Where the road is hard, but man, I am on it and there is much joy in the pursuit of God. This morning as we come to a conclusion, I want to leave you with that word. I want to leave you with the seriousness of verse 18 that says the wrath of God is being revealed not because I want you to be down, but because I want you to know the truth. The truth. And I want you to flee from sin and I want you to run to God. If this morning you need to run to God, Well, there's three aisles. Get running. We'll be down here. If you need to start over, if you need to pray, if you need to repent of something and let go of it, if you need, because you followed God but you haven't followed God, need to set things right, we'll have an elder down front. We'll be down here to pray with you. Don't let today go with the wrath of God hanging over your head, but allow the pure, spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ, to remove all guilt All sin and set you right and free before God today. Let's stand and say.